Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. I am Rob Peters, and continuing our extreme social distancing, Josh Roller is here with me as well from Charlotte. While I'm located in Indianapolis, Josh, you can go ahead and say hello to everybody. Hello, and I'm waving, and I'm waving to you. I hope you can see me. Uh, well, this is a podcast, so. Oh, maybe. yeah, I forgot we're doing a podcast. They're not going to be able to see me. You know, maybe someday we should live stream it and see if it's possible. That would be interesting. Uh, I would consider three viewers on that to be a success. Three viewers would be a success, actually. I would be very happy to see three people watch us just go back and forth. I mean, they already listened to us. They should want to watch us, too. Um, We're thankful that you're back listening to us, and we've got a lot to to cover today. So we're going to go ahead and just jump into it. And uh, this is Rob's Racing Report. My report on the week of racing, uh, Josh nicely types it up, and then I just talk about it. He's the greatest. Have I mentioned that? Josh is the greatest. If, without him, I don't know how how we get this done. So let's go ahead and get the elephant in the room out of the way. Uh, so I hope you haven't been living under a rock since Sunday, or even yesterday, so on Monday. Uh, but if you haven't heard, Kyle Larson has been suspended by Chip Ganassi Racing, NASCAR, and iRacing for using a racial slur during Sunday's event, Sunday evening's uh, Monza Madness that was hosted by Landon Castle. Uh, while live on Twitch during an on-track session, Larson asked a fellow driver if he could hear them, and then followed up by saying the N-word. So Larson appeared unaware that not only was his voice being broadcast live to fellow drivers, but also to Twitch viewers. Anthony Alfredo quickly pointed out to Larson that his mic was hot, while others reacted in various ways. Honestly, if you've seen Colin Daly's clip by now, that was my reaction too. Just a little bit of shock and cynical humor, maybe? I don't know. Like, oh my gosh, his career is is toast now. Um, and so, as a result, I was not. We, we were really wrong thinking about that in the moment because a statement Monday morning from Chip Ganassi Racing read, We are extremely disappointed by what Kyle said last night during an iRacing event. The words that he chose to use are offensive and unacceptable. As, this mo- as of this moment, we are suspending Kyle without pay while we work through the situation with appropriate parties. Shortly thereafter, NASCAR then released their statement that stated, NASCAR has made diversity and inclusion a priority and will not tolerate the type of language used by Kyle Larson during Sunday iRacing event. Our member conduct guidelines are clear in this regard, and we will enforce these guidelines to maintain an inclusive environment for our entire industry and fan base. NASCAR suspended Larson indefinitely and requires him to attend sensitivity training. So, shortly after noon on Monday, Larson then posted a video apologizing for his actions. We'll read a little bit of the transcript here. It says, Hey, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. Last night I made a mistake and said the word that should never, ever be said, and there's no excuse for that. I wasn't raised that way. It's just an awful thing to say, and I feel very sorry for my family, my friends, my partners, the NASCAR community, and especially the African-American community. I understand the damage is probably unrepairable, and I own up to that, but I just want to let you all know how sorry I am, and I hope everybody is staying safe during these crazy times. Thank you. Um, iRacing then quickly was next to release their statement on Larson's actions. Uh, iRacing's statement read, iRacing considers itself to be a welcome and inclusive community for racing enthusiasts all around the world. We have a strict, we have strict policies against offensive behavior and language. Kyle Larson's language last night during a streamed online race was both offensive and inappropriate and in violation of our sporting code. As such, Kyle Larson has been suspended indefinitely from the iRacing service. Uh, and then... The dominoes just continued to fall after that. Credit One Bank, McDonald's, and Clover have all ended up terminating their relationships with Kyle Larson. Chevrolet suspended its, li- its uh, relationship. Advent Health 
Plan B fit sales and Finley Farms, however, are not changing their relationships. Advent Health is a NASCAR partner uh, and sponsor and more of a sponsor to Chip Ganassi Racing, while Finley Farms is a sprint car sponsor. So Jason Finley tweeted, Finley Farms will continue to support Kyle Larson's sprint car efforts. We all make mistakes and deserve a second chance. Brent Powell from Plan B Sales posted that Kyle called him personally to express his regret. Powell said that he sounded very somber and was very apologetic. Powell ended the remarks with, quote, Although we do not condone or, appro- or appreciate the slur Kyle used during his iRacing event last night, at the same time, we know he is an awesome young man that made a mistake, and we are going to stand by him 100% and help in any way we can. Um, and so talking about that, uh, finally this morning, the final domino fell. Chip Ganassi Racing announced that they had fired Kyle Larson immediate, effective immediately. The decision came uh, late Monday afternoon, but was not announced until Tuesday morning. And uh, as previously noted, Chevrolet suspended their relationship with Kyle Larson but uh, also this morning, Chevrolet announced that they have officially terminated their relationship entirely. Uh, and so as a result of that, Chevrolet actually uh, provides the engines to Kyle Larson's sprint car team. So that could have some severe uh, issues with his team as well. And uh, we don't have this in the notes here, but it should also be noted that Kyle Larson does own an esports team, Kyle Larson Racing on the esports side. That's affiliated with Chip Ganassi and their and Kyle Larson's sponsors. Uh, right now in the NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series, uh, those two cars are currently running what is essentially um, bare paint schemes, uh, resembling zero resemblance to Larson's sponsors or Larson's car numbers or Chip Ganassi's car numbers. Um, and I'm, we really don't know the the status of that, but obviously esports being a big topic uh, to talk about, uh, we wanted I wanted to get those that out of the way to make sure that. Uh, that was known as that's another fallout that's happening right now, especially in the esports world. And then uh, finally, this afternoon, just maybe about I would say an hour before we went on a- on the air here for this podcast, the World of Outlaws released their own statement. Uh, as long as Kyle Larson completes sensitivity training, which within 30 days of his infraction, he will be allowed to participate in World of Outlaws races. There will be no penalty for his team, Kyle Larson Racing. Um, and as of the recording of this podcast, there has been no further comment from Larson or Chip Ganassi Racing. There is current speculation that since sponsors that severed ties with Larson's Larson were also tied to Chip Ganassi Racing, that someone else uh, could fill the uh, seat when racing resumes. Uh, the obvious choice that Bob Pockris and many other journalists have pointed to are the possibility possibility of Ross Chastain, but his Xfinity series contract with Colleague Racing and sponsorship deal with Nutrient Ag Solutions would need to be clear for him to take that ride. And also today, uh, possibly clearing the way further for Chastain to maybe take over that ride. Um, there was a uh, article actually that was just posted very recently, I believe, uh, that said Ryan Newman will likely be back in a race car as soon as NASCAR resumes, uh, whenever that may be. Uh, but that being said, that will likely open up the door again to Ross Chastain. Again, that's a lot of speculation. We really don't know what is going to happen, uh, but we will just see. Time will tell. Obviously, I think Chip Ganassi is not uh, really rushing any decisions right now because we are in a shutdown. We are in a coronavirus pandemic, and uh, it's going to take some time for him to figure out. Obviously, you're going to want to sign a driver that might not command as high of a salary as Larson does so that you can probably ask for less money from the sponsors and then still be able to run the car and run the team effectively. But we will see. Uh, Josh, you and I, we both want to talk a little bit about the situation uh, just just for a couple of minutes here. So we're going to – Josh and I are going to take a couple of minutes each to kind of 
give our opinions on on what's going on here. So, you know, when like I said earlier, you know, my re- reaction to it when I was watching it was 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 very much the same as Connor Daly's reaction. It was just like it it was this shock disbelief kind of like oh my gosh i wasn't sure if he was trying to be edgy or what he was trying to do but it was just i wasn't sure why he said it and and ultimately you know i think we need to talk about uh the situation that we're in here is you know it's it's a touchy subject i think this is a very touchy subject we've seen a lot of people online defend kyle larson we've seen a lot of people online uh say he's been canceled we've seen people you know, saying a lot of different things. I think ultimately, wherever you stand on this, you know, Josh, you and I, we're white guys. You know, we don't know what it's like to hear that word. Uh, we don't know what it's like to hear someone sling a slur at us in a derogatory way. We don't know what that's like. We will never know what that's like. Um, you know, people can you call us crackers all they want, but ultimately it's not going to cut maybe as deep as hearing as as an african-american or any black person really hearing the n-word uh and and saying that having said that i think it's important to also understand that you know nascar has been trying for so long so 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 long to shed the idea that it is a, a sport for rednecks and a sport for racist hicks and and racist bigots and things like that NASCAR is trying everything in their power to stop that, and when you're in a coronavirus shutdown and the only piece of news going around is NASCAR driver says N-word on live stream, it's not going to look good. It puts NASCAR back so many years, so I think wherever you stand on this, you have to keep in mind that what Larson said was wrong. It was wrong, and he's going to have to pay the consequences from it, but we can forgive and forget if time goes on. If people forgive him, you know, then then we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it but ultimately i think right now we need to just we need larson has has made his bed he needs to lay in it and he needs to accept the consequences whatever those might be obviously we've already seen him accept those and i'm sure that you know as time moves on he'll hopefully have learned from his mistake and apologize make maybe a little bit of a better apology and maybe show uh much better ways but ultimately like i said we don't we will never know what that feeling is like and i think kyle will never know what that feeling is like either and i think that we just need to be more sensitive to certain situations like that um so josh i i've talked a little bit longer than i wanted to maybe about 30 seconds too long josh what were your uh takeaways from the kyle larson's incident you said a lot what i what i was going to um and just talk about the image part real quick um of nascar you know, disclosure, I've been never been to a race outside of the, the Midwest. Um, I've been to three Michigan races and I've been to I've been to eight Brickyard four hundreds, been to dozens of short track races on dirt and pavement in Indiana. But you know, just within the last seven years, let's keep it to that because that's where my memory is gonna be best served in this. Um I've never heard anyone speak anything derogatory about uh, another race at a racing event. And again, this is all coming from Indiana and Michigan, but primarily Indiana in this instance. Um, you know, I, 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 I saw plenty of people cheering on Bubba last year at the Brickyard 400 when he was running so well. And 
Um, I just worry about NASCAR's image, what they've worked so hard to, to be, and I don't think we, we are the 1975 NASCAR. Um, that We're much more inclusive today. And then the other thing that this where we're kicking everyone else's butt in sports, we were able to put the talents of our athletes to actual simulation. Um, it's not like playing in 2K. It's not like play, like playing Madden. Um, the, the Eli Manning can't transfer his talents from the field to a game, you know, and, and LeBron James can't transfer his talents from the court into a game. But on a simulator, on iRacing, you can, and that's where we've been, we've been talking about this for a while, and we've been just kicking everyone's butt that way uh, uh, as motorsports community against the other sports. And for this to happen on that platform is – it's it's not at, it's bad, but obviously what he said was was way worse. So um, I hope you know hopefully he can learn and um, you know, from his mistake, and I'm I'm sure he will. He is accepting the the consequences that come with that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of that, that's really all that right now needs to be said. Again, you're talking about a podcast hosted by two white guys. I mean, really, our opinion is is going to be taken differently no matter what happens. Um, but we just have to understand that, you know, you, you have to be, you have to be careful with what you say and what you do when you're representing a sport, when you're representing any kind of business or entity, you know, you have to operate with some kind of restraint and think about the consequences of your actions. Uh, especially if you're in the public light, like, like, like that, if you're in the public eye and you make a mistake like that, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know, and that just comes with the job. It comes with the notoriety. It comes with the biz. Uh, and ultimately, I think Kyle Larson is going to learn from that. And and hopefully, I don't know what's going to happen with his career. I don't know. It's going to be very hard for him to probably find sponsorship after this for at least some time. But hey, if Jeremy Clements can make it work, I'm sure Kyle Larson can too. I think Clements more or less. I mean, the, the situation was much different with Clements, but I think Clements has more or less redeemed himself in the eyes of most people. Um, and, and, you know, maybe Kyle Larson will have that happen. Who knows if he ends up just staying away from NASCAR for a little bit and running dirt tracks, that might be the best route for him to go regain some confidence, regain some prowess, and then maybe make another chance, make a redemption out of it. Who knows? I mean, we'll see what happens. We'll see, we'll see what kind of more statements we get from all parties involved in the future. And, uh, we'll keep you updated on the situation as we know it, and again, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to continue to, we're not going to insert our opinions into the reporting. We're going to tell you what our opinions are after we've already stated all the facts. So that that's really what we wanted to get down to here when we were talking about that. So what we spent, uh, let's see here, first 15 minutes talking about Kyle Larson. Uh, let's move on to some news that's uh, happy. I just lost internet connection here. Um, that is a wonderful thing to see, and we want to continue to see good things like that, tracks hosting more and more places. Um, and uh, and so 
the next bit of news, last Thursday, Jimmy Johnson was actually asked whether, once again, um, whether or not he was considering postponing his retirement a year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He previously shared that he hadn't had any discussions related to the postponement, uh, but the opportunity was still there. Uh, this was posted from Team Chevy. Johnson said, quote, For me, in my final year in a cup car, I feel more for the fans that wanted to see me at their track and experience that and have it. I know where I am, and I'm very confident and fulfilled with the career I've had. Sure, I want to be on track. Sure, I want to go to these places a final time. I feel more for the fans that aren't having that opportunity right now that I long for myself to experience it and to be there, if that makes any sense. And there's only a small piece in the grand scheme of things when you look at all of the individuals that are affected by the coronavirus and the families that have been and their families that have been affected and the economy and the businesses and business owners. This is way bigger than me and way bigger than what was going to be my final time at these tracks. So, so that stuff hasn't e really even crossed my mind, honestly, is why uh, I bring it up. Uh, there have been so many other issues at hand to think about and be concerned with that I haven't thought much about uh, in my final year and what I might be missing for myself. It's been more about others and more about the fans and what I see on my social th thread, I see people that have been lifelong fans that are sad they don't get to see me run. So it's been about others far more than it's been about what effect this has on had on me personally. And uh, let us end this segment. So that was Johnson's statement on whether or not he was going to uh, continue running uh, another year after next year. But uh, we can end this segment with how we have the past few weeks. NBC earned a 0.22 rating. For Sunday Chevrolet 275 at the virtual Michigan International Speedway, and uh, 202,000 viewers watched. Uh, I was definitely one of them. I'm sure Josh was as well. I was. That is up. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I should have figured that. Um, I, I mean, I know you watch more of the esports races than I do. I, I try to keep up with as many as I can. But there's just so many going on with so many drivers that some I've heard of, some I haven't heard of, some of I even know personally. Uh, that's even worse when I didn't, I, I don't even watch some of my friends that I know personally run, but, uh, anyway, so that, uh, is up 25% from the previous week at Barber Motorsports Park, so, that is all the news for Rob's Racing Report that we have to report on today, I think it's a great time to transition into, again, more happy news, let's talk about happy news, you know, we're gonna spend the rest of this podcast talking about happy news, uh, because there should be some happy news, let's talk about the featured paint scheme, so, Josh, a lot of of my free time lately has been watching old races and uh 2010 indycar has always been one of my favorite seasons i think personally it's one of the last great seasons in american open wheel history um may, people may may disagree with that people may say like 2012 2013 was better but man there's nothing better than the re the tracks that indycar ran in 2010 it was the last time we saw chicagoland uh it was the last time um you know we saw a lot of really uh, a staples, I should say, in the IndyCar series. Kansas was one of them that we we, we stopped running at after that. Uh, but it was overall a great season, and it had some really great liveries. So, Josh, I want to hear all about the one that you picked because uh, that one was really cool to see in person because I was there at the 2010 Indianapolis 500, and I, I will never forget sitting in turn four uh, and watching Mike Conway have that accident right in front of me. That was Whew, that was rough. That was interesting, but rough. So, Josh, go ahead and take it away with your featured paint scheme. Yeah, so I chose a card that I thought was going to be a one-off, but I was kindly reminded upon further review that this car was driven twice that year. Driven I to Kansas, wasn't it, too? 
Huh? Kansas and India did back to back races. There you go. There you go. Okay, I was and right. <laughs> I yeah. remember 2010. 2010 IndyCar, man. That was, I, I, I tell you, it was my favorite. Summer of 2010, my summer of eighth grade going into freshman year. Probably one of the best summers of my life, personally. And so I remember uh, that summer started with watch, watch, going to the Indy 500 that year and then just being hooked on IndyCar the whole rest of the year. Just never letting up. I watched every every single race after that. It was beautiful. Uh, so I, I love hearing about this. I'm sorry. I, I, I interrupted you again. Go ahead and tell us about your featured paint scheme because I'm sure people are getting ready to hear what it is. <laughs> well, hey, John Andretti's number 43 window work. For Andretti Autosport with Richard Petty Motorsports. I, I said that right. I'll repeat myself. John Andretti is number 43, Window World Honda for Andretti Autosport with Richard Petty Motorsports. Okay, there you go. You heard it twice. The car was a base Petty Blue with Day Glow Red on the nose, wings, uh, rear of the tub section of the car, uh, and the sides of the rear wing. Uh, Andretti's first race was, as Rob guessed correctly, race number five at Kansas Speedway. He started 17th in the 27-car field, but finished one lap down in ninth. So I would say it's a pretty good day. In the race number six, the Indianapolis 500, he started 28th but finished 30th at the crash and in turn two after completing 62 laps. He was running 26th at the time when he slapped the wall, the outside wall, excuse me, on the exit of turn two and broke a bunch of uh, stuff on the side. This car wasn't able to continue. Um, I chose it simply because it's unique to see the, the Petty 43 on the side of an Indy car. And that isn't something you see every day. However, I did double check and I wanted to kind of do a little, little figuring up here. And, and at least the 43 was run in 2009 by John Andretti. Um, it really, I wouldn't call it a true Petty 43, but it was similar, a Petty 43. Um, and then he did run it again in 2011, which was, I would say, a true Petty 43. Uh, basically the same car from 2010, the same livery anyways. Um, regardless, still very unique to see the Petty 43 associated with NASCAR, stock car racing. Um, not IndyCar in the Indianapolis 500. So, Rob, what is yours? Yeah, uh, mine is, is uh, I, you know, I love one-offs. And I love telling stories about uh, the IndyCar series, IRL and Champ Car. Like, the, like you know, height of the split stuff, I love that. And uh, I really love some of the one-offs that came and went. And a lot of them ran at Indianapolis, but there was one that didn't run at Indianapolis that really cost my really caught my eye back then. I really loved it. It was one of my favorite paint schemes, uh, even though it only ran one race. It only ran one race. So I'm picking Adam Carroll's number 27 Boost Mobile Honda that he drove at Watkins Glen. Now, I know we both picked schemes here from Andretti Autosport, but, you know, if they didn't make the best liveries, we wouldn't have to talk about them, you know? So this is... Also, back-to-back weeks, we've chosen the same team, too. Yes. Which, again, I don't think it's ever happened before. Well, uh, it happens. Um, but this this paint scheme that Adam Carroll ran was a Boost Mobile. It was sponsored by Boost Mobile, uh, and it was very similar to the one that Danica Patrick had run the year prior in 2009. But uh, GoDaddy actually stepped up and sponsored Danica in 2010 full time as well as 2011. And actually, I gotta say, I wanted to pick that one. I was going back and forth between uh, Danica Patrick's car, Ed Carpenter's car that he ran at the 500 and at Chicagoland, a couple other oval races that year, and then this one, the Adam Carroll one. But I think more people are familiar with those two, like the Fuzzies Vodka car and then the, the GoDaddy car, than they are with this one. Mm -hmm. And they are with Adam Carroll in general. So the thing about Adam Carroll, and I don't have this here in the notes, but I want to talk about him a little bit, is how he got this ride. Was, I don't know if you are aware, but if you remember the A1GP... Um, which was supposed to be 
the uh, they called it the World Cup of Motorsports. So what you did was drivers from different countries enter were in cars and they were like Team uh, Ireland. Like Adam Carroll drove for Team Ireland. There was like Team every uh, country or whatever. There was Team um, there was you Uni- Team United States, right? I think Buddy Rice ran for it, but Marco Andretti was also running for it in the A1 GP. And that's really where Michael first saw Adam Carroll because uh, he actually won the uh, 2008 to 2009 A1 Grand Prix uh, championship. He won that championship in 2008-2009. So by the next year, he was you know he was highly sought after, um, and he won that for uh, Team Ireland. And uh, that w- he was the only driver who competed. Well, he wasn't the only driver who competed all of the rounds, but uh, he was one of the only drivers that competed. Uh, in every round, whereas uh, I'm looking at it here, uh, Andretti Green entered for the A1 Team USA, and uh, they had Charlie Kimball, Marco Andretti, and J.R. Hildebrand run their cars during that time. So that's why uh, Michael noticed Carroll at the A1 GP and said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and give you a shot to run. So he put him in a car in Watkins Glen, and that was his first run. He actually ran really well during the beginning, but as towards the later parts of the race, uh, Carroll did not do very well. So he started 10th and finished 16th, and that was not his first start in IndyCar that season. But his final start in IndyCar actually came a couple of weeks later at Mid-Ohio when he ran an AFS uh, livery that was very similar to one that uh, I think Rafael Matos had run when he was uh, in Andretti's uh, Indy Lights program. Um, so really, I mean, it was just an interesting t- talking point to, to learn about Adam Carroll there. So finished 10th, started 10th, finished 16th at Watkins Glen in the Boost Mobile number 27 car. And uh, they didn't run the 27 car again until 2011 when they brought it back for Mike Conway, who came in. So yeah, very, very interesting notes about that. I've, I'd been wanting to talk about that for a long time because I think it's, it's just such a forgettable gotten car people just completely forget that this car ran that year and uh, i've always i've always been interested in it so um let's go ahead here and uh move on move on here from the topic of uh paint schemes to talk about this week's winners the nbc esports short track iRacing challenge which i know josh has been watching i have been trying i i have them all on my dvrs i dvr all of them but i just need to get around to actually watching them but uh so the Virtual Myrtle Beach Speedway race number one was run won by Ryan Priest. Uh, race number two at the Virtual Myrtle Beach Speedway was run by Landon Castle. Wednesday night iRacing on FS1 from the Virtual Knoxville Raceway. Uh, the NOS Energy World of Outlaws Sprint Cars was run by Kevin Swindell. The World of Outlaws Morton's Buildings Late Models was won by Corey Gordon. The championship race at the Virtual Martinsville Speedway for the NBC Sports uh, Short Track iRacing Challenge was won by Chase Briscoe. And then we had IndyCar race, like we talked about earlier. Uh, the IndyCar iRacing Challenge, the Chevrolet 275 at the Virtual Michigan International Speedway, was won by Simon Pagano. Uh, and then Landon Castle's Monza Madness. Let's actually talk about the good things that happened about that. Actually, if you caught Monza Madness and just completely ignore the Kyle Larson situation for a minute, it was Monza Madness. It lived up to the hype. Yes. Um, it, it was madness. Um, and I love that. So it, it, it was won by Justin Botello, an avid iRacer. Uh, he beat a ton of real NASCAR drivers and real IndyCar drivers and everything. So NHRA uh, and dirt too. I mean, there's yeah. a lot. Of, there's a variety of racing disciplines in that race, and he and he won them all or beat them all. Yeah. So uh, that was one. And then so so let's talk about some of our top takeaways. Um, 
From the NBC Esports Short Track iRacing Challenge, Myrtle Beach Race Number 1, Ryan Priest drops to the back right on the start, falling from 1st to 6th in the first lap to conserve his tires. Tire saving was really the subject of the track due to the weight of the cup cars and the abrasiveness of Myrtle Beach. Uh, giving and taking by the competitors, giving each other space. Ride Priest wins, passing two cars every 15 laps after saving his tires. Look how much that worked. Hey, hey, tire saving is important, even in the virtual world. Uh, Myrtle Beach race number two. Myatt Snyder dry decided to drop to the back on the start like Priest in race one, but fell back too far. Uh, the field tried to duplicate the strategy of Priest in the first race, which spread out the field. Uh, Castle Landon Castle conserved his tires enough, and has led and he and has led. By lap and he's lead by lap 17 and still maintained over a second uh, lead, uh, a second interval to win. Sorry, I am walking all over myself today. I am so sorry how awkward this sounds. I, I'm reading and what is coming out of my head is not coming out of my mouth. So, so, so bear, bear with me here. We're still trying. We're still trying. Um, field contested consisted of heat race winners William Byron, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Ryan Priest, and Landon Castle. Steve Letarte's Peacock provisionals were handed to uh, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlet, Chase Briscoe, Parker Kligerman, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Byron and Kligerman yarded the field almost immediately. Uh, Byron is so good, and others like Be others like Bell and Kyle Busch have issues that Hamlin shares that he will wreck Byron to get a caution if needed. But as Hamlin approaches Byron, uh, iRacing officials throw a caution, and during the caution, where everyone pitted, Kyle Busch successfully lobbies Byron and Kligerman to, a, to do a pass-through penalty for being too good at iRacing. What the heck? Both do yeah. and start from the rear. The 90-lap event restarted with 39 to go, and Briscoe jumped out to the lead. Byron was up to 5th by 35 to go. Kligerman struggled more and didn't make his way forward as easily. Eventually, Byron made it to 2nd, but ran out of tires and Chase Briscoe won. So, basically, William Byron could have won that, but he was too good. Uh, yeah, it, then was, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> It sounded like it was wild. The IndyCar iRacing Challenge at Michigan. Thank goodness. I loved it. It wasn't a pack race, by the way. But uh, we US 500ed ourselves. That's a yes. verb now. US 500ed. I'm calling it a verb. Uh, because we wrecked before the start at Michigan. I didn't think we were supposed to do that again. I thought we learned our lesson. But apparently not. I don't think so it was going to happen we, if, we it for, uh, that to... if it wasn't for... It was uh, McLaughlin gl glitching out. And then Rosenquist checked up, and then Askew just went through Rosenquist. Yeah, I don't think you well, had dude, to glitch like out. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, happen. is you have to be, you have to look out for that kind of stuff. You have to look out for the glitches. You yeah. have to be aware of your surroundings and keep in mind, like when you're eye racing. And I still don't think a lot of these guys understand that concept yet. They but were too I think close it'll come together. To That's what I was worried about too. I'm like, yeah, they're too close here. I mean, it's a long race, and the draft is so huge. I mean, it. it they were in a draft, and that's the thing. Was, people were talking about, like, on Twitter, I was seeing all over the place. People were saying, oh, this is a pack race. Oh, I'm so glad this isn't real life. This isn't real life. They're single file. This isn't a pack race. They're single file. They're pulling out to pass because they get big drafts. I mean, this is no different than the IRL at Michigan. When I went there in 05, 06, and 07, the same thing happened. They ran in single file most of the time. Sometimes they bunched up and got double file. But outside of that, it wasn't like they were running three and four wide and, and hitting each other and touching each other. I mean, they ran single file most of the time and just passed and passed and passed and called it a day. Uh, so, but, you know, hey. It, it was good. There was a lot of lead changes, uh, and that's that's what we wanted to see. I mean, give me a Michigan race with a Hamford device again, and I'll be a happy camper. Uh, close racing, but not so close. It was uncomfortable. Uh, fuel strategy game. Simon Pagano, Dale Earnhardt Jr. decided to play that game, which ended up working out pretty well for them. Uh, there was troubles entering the pit lane for many drivers. I think I, I racing needs to turn up the uh, concrete 
uh, AI. Hold on, let me remember this. I, I edit a lot of NR2003 tracks, so I'm trying to remember what it is. The AI track, AI concrete grip levels that I need to turn up a little bit. The pit for the pit lane because it looked like they were sliding around on ice out there. I mean, even like even like the guys who you didn't expect to like they got this down like Sage Karam and Will Power. They even scooted a little bit, but it's like they knew okay. I need to what the compensation level was in the steering wheel and the gas and the brake and all that. They they didn't spin out where others did. It, it was just nuts. I, I think uh, experience played out for them on that hand where you saw, okay, these guys I race a lot, these guys don't. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, it's it's very very telling. You could tell the drivers that do this quite a lot from the drivers that don't. I think they have a lot of tendencies that uh, I've I'm someone who's who's I suppose grown to uh, through the years, and then compared to all the other people who don't have those same kind of tendencies. So, uh, Sage Karam, Graham Rahal, Will Power, and others who led late were forced to pit for fuel. Simon Pagano won the race. Uh, Scott McLaughlin was second, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yes, I said Dale Earnhardt Jr. was third. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how that happened, but it's still impressive to me. Because uh, Junior's pretty good at saving fuel and tires, man. That is exactly what that came down to. I mean, has that guy, like, I, I don't think, uh, well, maybe he has. He's had to have run IndyCar iRacing events before, but never, like, with other IndyCar drivers. Probably not, right? Like, or as many probably as he not. did. So, That's probably why he run, run an third, old one Even on if road it's a fuel strategy, fuel mileage, whatever, I don't care. It's impressive. I'm giving it to him. Uh, Landon Castle's Monza Madness 62 62- <laughs> Again, this is why it was madness. 62 cars on the 2.6-mile historic Autodromo Nazionale Monza Oval. I hope I said that right in Italian. I don't speak Italian. I speak Spanish. Yeah, I think it was close so. enough from what I heard other people pronounce it. I think you're good. All right. Grazie, ragazzi. Something like that, then. Uh, so whatever Sebastian Vettel says after he wins a race, which hasn't happened in way too long. IndyCar, NHRA, NASCAR, Dirt, and iRacing pros all raced. Uh, 30-lap race, no caution, damage turned off, equaled quite the wild race, anything can happen. <laughs> like we already had, uh, said earlier, Patello won the race, followed by Tommy Joe Martins, and then Casey Kerwin, Rail, Fowler, Chase Cabre, uh, Landon Castle, Bailey Curry, Timmy Hill, Adam Gillen, and Garrett Smithley. So some of those names I know, some of them I don't, some of them I probably wild. butchered. It was pretty wild. I mean, I watched, I rewatched, I, I caught, like, the last 10 laps on Sunday, and then I watched the first 20 laps before we came on today. I mean, madness is almost like putting it lightly. I mean, Landon Castle named it very well spot on. And there was, I mean, there's a wreck on lap one, wreck on lap two, wreck on lap three, wreck on lap There's no cautions. Wreck, uh, or damage turned off. And the track is so narrow, especially on the backstretch. Mm-hmm. There's no escape area. There's a wall here. There's a little bit of grass and an armco barrier. All right. It's like, I don't even know if it's as wide as the front and back stretch of Indianapolis, the, the entire area. It was just crazy. So if there's a wreck in front of you and there's 62 cars, you're 58th. And there's a wreck in 20th, you're probably going to be caught up in it. And yep. it was it was crazy. And it was a it was race survival at that point. And, um, you know, so Justin Patello, hey, congratulations, man! You you started fifty third and you won that race. Awesome! I think only the top five guys, or top four, top four or five, were on the lead lap too. So hey, crazy. 
<laughs> how many how many people are going to uh, ever have say that? Uh, yeah, I won from back in the fifty whatever starting position. How many people Not... have the luxury of ever being able to say that in anything? I don't think probably since the fifties maybe has anyone in auto racing uttered those words close to that. And even then, if who starts fifty? Why did you start fifty third? You probably weren't fast enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You probably weren't fast enough to even get up to the front. But hey, Monza madness. Yeah. All right, let's go with the let's start with the outstanding performance, Josh. Let's go ahead and start this off with you. Yeah. So um, I went to I don't know maybe a little unorthodox this week, but I'm going with Landon Castle for performance in the second virtual race at Myrtle Beach on Wednesday night. He finished fourth in the first race. Um, that, 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 that evening, um, he gave a glowing explanation on how he won the second race. He basically checked his tire wear after the first race, basically calculated in his head that, okay, if I put, I, I, if I push this much harder, the track's going to be a little cooler. Um, I can, you know, start pushing harder at this point and this point and this point, so on down the line. I'm really paraphrasing here. Um, but he basically figured he conserved his tires too much in the first. And then uh, he said, I'm going to lead by halfway of the second race, which he was doing that. Um, and he kind of drove away at that point. He kind of rode in third behind uh, the, the first two, you know, the, the, the three, the front three, kind of pulled away. And then he got around him and pulled away, got to a second, second and a half lead. Um, and then everyone else just wore their tires down, weren't able to catch back up. So in, after the race was over, he was talking with uh, Marty Snyder and Jeff Burton, and, and he gave an explanation on how he won that race as if it was the Daytona 500. And I'm thinking to myself, why doesn't this guy have a full-time cup ride and a even semi-quality equipment? That's the sad part about this because he's, I mean, he's like, you're smart. He knows what he's doing, folks. And if you can, if you can only give him even <sighs> Levine family racing type equipment, I think he could go out there and do exactly what Matt DeBenedetto did last year. So that's right. I outstanding performance, Landon Castle. I am, I, I have no way to disagree with what you just said. There is no reason for me to disagree with what you just said. So, uh, but with that being said, you know, like, like I said, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard for me not to give a shout out to Dale Earnhardt Jr. running an IndyCar iRace and then coming in third. Honestly, I did not pick him for podium finish, but he survived and probably was helped by his knowledge of the draft. I think, Oh, yeah, uh, sure. You know, granted, it's 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 different. It's a completely different beast in a stock car compared to an Indy car. But you know, I, I, someone was talking on the broadcast. I'm not sure it was Paul Tracy or or not, but someone was talking about side drafting. I was like, can you really side draft in an Indy car? Does that work very well? Is that as effective? Maybe or I don't even know if it's as effective. It, it might be effective in real life, but I don't even know if it's effective in the game. Uh, <laughs> that's something that's something I was curious about but yeah you know fuel strategy fuel mileage whatever I don't care save the fuel whatever dude if, if, if I, I said it earlier and has Junior ever done something like this like raced against these guys in their natural element I mean it just looked incredible out there he looked like he, he was he had done this before he looked like he was a veteran uh, of, of IndyCar you know and I don't think I'll ever see Dale Junior run an IndyCar oval race it'll never happen in real life I don't but think it was Amy cool. would let him for one, even if he no, wanted Amy to. Would. Amy wouldn't let him. I don't even think he'd let himself personally. I don't I mean, personally I, think I he'd let think himself. He, I don't think he would. He probably wants to. He probably is sitting there thinking, "Yeah, I would love to run the Indy 500 someday," but realizing that's probably never going to happen. 
Um, let's go ahead here. And it, it now sounds seems about a, t- a good time to jump into the upshift and downshift segment of the show. Uh, upshift and downshift is one of our favorite te- topics, one of the most popular, I guess, most famous. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, subjects. So what we're going to do is I'm going to present a series of hypothetical questions and or statements. And Josh is going to say whether or not he agrees or disagrees by saying upshift or downshift. Upshift meaning you agree, downshift meaning you disagree, shifting it into neutrals meaning you really don't have one feeling one way or the other. Um, and then I'm going to answer that with my own take on it. So with that being said, our first question of the day is Adam Stern tweeted that IndyCar CEO Mark Miles would be, quote, delighted to run an additional doubleheader at Texas Motor Speedway. This has the potential as NASCAR's first Michigan race weekend is this has this has potential as NASCAR's first Michigan race weekend is that very weekend and very well could be postponed until August when NASCAR travels to Michigan a second time. Do you upshift or downshift Texas Motor Speedway hosting an IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader in June? Uh, yeah, I kind of upshift this. I like it. Um, first off, NASCAR doesn't want to have doubleheaders in the playoffs. They want to keep the playoffs. Yeah, no, intact. you can't have those. If if they're gonna if they're gonna if we get going by. Memorial Day weekend or soon after, double headers are going to have to, and there's going to be a schedule realignment. So if you put Texas when they're already going to have an IndyCar race there, why not? You know, I say it's a great idea. More exposure for both series. Um, I like it. I like, of course, I'm, I'm, I've been an advocate for IndyCar NASCAR double header, and I, there's going to be potential for multiple. I think because you know, Richmond's going to be another one uh, when. IndyCar goes to Richmond in July, I believe. So, uh, yeah, upshift all the way. Well, all right. I mean, hey, I, I it's, it's hard not to uh, disagree with that. I'm I'm in agreement. I think I, I'm upshifting as well. I really do think that that's a great idea. You know, I said this many times on the show. Excuse me, I just burped. Uh, said this many times on the show uh, that Texas in IndyCar is one of the best races around. It's on my bucket list. It's a race that I want to see. I think there's a lot of NASCAR fans out there that if they got the opportunity to see an IndyCar race in addition to a NASCAR race at Texas, I think that they would end up liking it a lot, a lot, because it is great. It is just fantastic racing. So I'm, I'm upshifting for that. I think it would be a great experience for the fans. Uh, and I think it would be a great experience just for everybody involved. So the next question here is, Ooh, speaking of, we're talking about Monza madness. How much more madness do you want? Do you upshift or downshift the idea of the Monza oval track being part of either the NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series or the IndyCar iRacing Challenge. Josh, I want to know what you think about this. You know what? I mean, that's my question. I upshift. I upshift because I think it's unique for, for a few reasons. One, you're never going to go there. There's never going to be a race on this old. So yeah. I think in now during this time where we were in the shutdown and the only thing going on is, is iRacing and eSports, why not? you know, go somewhere that you can't, you know, and, uh, you can't go in real life. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not advocating NASCAR to go to Silverstone and race on the Silverstone circuit. Maybe kind of, maybe probably not, but this Monza circuit, you're never going to go there. I do it just, I mean, you don't have 60 cars. No, you know, but, but, but do it like you have been, you're the 30 to 36 cars or 40 cars even, and just have fun. You know, that's what this is all about. Um, is, is having fun, keeping people interested and keeping people, um, entertained and Monza with its history can certainly keep people entertained, uh, whether it's the NASCAR side or the IndyCar side. So I upshift. I'm going to upshift too. That just sounds like a, just 
complete madness. And sometimes I think in video games specifically, madness is okay. I think if after we, what we saw with Monza Madness, we need more of this. We need more. We don't need more of what Kyle Larson said, but we do need more things like Monza Madness. I can tell you that 100%. We need more things like that. So I'm going to go ahead and upshift too. I really have no other thing. I have nothing else to add on to what you said because I, I'm 100% in agreement. Um, next question. Uh, on a Sky Sports vodcast, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, I really don't know I think what it's a, a vodcast video podcast. Is. A video podcast? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. McLaren Racing CEO Zach Brown suggested bringing back the dropped scores point system with the pandemic ongoing uh, and low-funded teams facing financial constraints. It's possible that some teams will have to withdraw for safety and financial reasons. In a, quote, dropped scores system, only a certain number of race results are counted towards the world championship. For example, if 15 races are won in 2020, only a team's best 12 results will be counted. Do you upshift or downshift on this suggestion by Zach Brown? I would never have thought about bringing this back north, suggested it myself. But when you think about the situation that we're in in the world and the way the financials of this sport are, I upshift bringing it back at least for this season. You know, um, if we're running 15 races and there's going to be some questionable races and, and teams like, hey, I can't go to two races, great. We only count your best 12 results. Cool. I, I, I upshift for that reason, just for this is extraordinary circumstances here. I think I, I'm with you on that. I think, you know, I, I hadn't really considered that as a possibility. But when you talk, when you say it like that, there's, you know, Formula One has like, what, the big three, right? They have Ferrari, they have Mercedes, and, well, Red Bull. Red Bull, yeah. I was, was going to say McLaren, three. but yeah, Red Bull. You, McCl- you, had, you, had, you had the Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari. Then you have McLaren, and then you basically have everyone else. Everybody else. And so, everyone you know, else, the people he's kind of talking about, I think. I mean, McLaren might, yeah. But I mean, I'm happy about Zach Brown bringing that point up and thinking about the other teams because you don't want to, you don't want, the last thing we want to see is half of the F1 grid disappear. Like, that's yeah. the last thing we want to see. We don't want, nobody wants to see that. I don't want to see that. I'm terrified to see that. We've already had to see Nicholas Latifi's father basically if I'm correct, I believe he pretty much bailed out Williams. And if Williams can't come back or something, he'll own the team or something. I, I really don't understand the full context of it. I probably should have figured it out before I even said anything about it. But I'll look I'll look more into it later. Uh, you know, that's just that's one of those things I'm, t- I'm saying, you know, we, we can't lose half the F1's uh, half the F1 grid uh, and and tr- and then expect to be able to get more teams back like in two years or something it's just not possible you can't put on something like that so i'm 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 with him i think that might be a good idea to consider um just so that everybody can have a better chance because i mean i mean i think about you know this they did the similar thing when you and i were in college you know they drop your worst like one or two test grades or something you know to help help your overall grade you know hey that 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 stuff comes in handy that stuff comes in in serious in serious handy. So I, I'm going to go ahead and upshift as well. I, I don't see any problem with that. Um, sticking with Formula One, should any more Grands Prix be postponed? Should the FIA be looking the idea to combine the 2020 and 21 2021 seasons into a single World Championship that ends in November of 2021? Uh, do you upshift or downshift on this hypo- hypothetical situation, Josh? I upshift. Am I crazy? Am I crazy for upshifting? No. Um, we're already delaying the 22 regular, the 20, what well, was supposed to be the 20 regular until 2022. 
We already talked about um, basically running the seat the 2021 season into January, not having testing in Spain or anywhere else, and just go straight into the 2021 season. Why not just combine the two world championships? And if you have 32, 33 Grand Prix, that's fine. I mean, and then you could implement maybe this drop point system as well into it. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with that. Combine two seasons, and it, it would definitely be one for the record books. Never will again. <laughs> will we have? It would be an asterisk by all the records because I mean, it, it will. It, if Lewis Hamilton goes out there and and wins twenty eight Grand Prix of the thirty three, obviously there's not going to be twenty eight Grand Prix ever again, let alone thirty three. So, um, I I upshift just for the sake of you know what? Let's just combine them. Let's let's let's, let's just go and let's not be separated by six weeks. You know, I I think you've you're definitely onto something here. I really like this. Uh, at this point, we have no idea what sports are going to happen. We have no idea what sports are going to be able to resume. What sports are going to be happening? I mean, I've already read that. Uh, uh, I mean, here's here's an example: the indoor football league just canceled their entire season, and they weren't even scheduled to start for like another month or two, and they canceled the whole season outright already. Like right, like over the past couple of days, which to me a seems a little sport. like. What? I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I'm like, really? Two months? You haven't even, not even started for two months? I kind of I, I don't know when was... they start, actually, I, but that's just what I heard. Like, the, the, the season was, was, was still a while away. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's the situation we're talking about. We don't know when these sports are going to be, be resuming. We don't know when we can resume them. So the best thing to, to, put, to do in that situation, where we, if we cannot resume the season... That would be the best way because you can't, you don't want to just scrap an entire season and you don't want to, because those teams and those spots, those teams need that money. Mm. You can't scrap the, the season and then just say, oh, okay, it's NBD. The teams need that payout money from all the TV and the sponsors and everything else. If they don't have that. They can't compete anymore. Like they rely on that money. I mean, that's part of their operating costs. I, I think if it, if it's going to help the overall health of formula one going forward then absolutely that's something that we need to consider um and just and just you know take it in the rear for a little bit and just deal with it and just say okay sure we're gonna run 33 grants pre in one season who cares we're gonna finish this thing it's we're gonna call it the 2020 to 2021 season and, that, and that'll be that um, so i'm gonna up 2022 yeah uh double headers are in the news and is and this show the past week uh, do you upshift or downshift that IndyCar should try to reschedule the Circuit of America's race to a doubleheader with Formula One? Josh, this is our last upshift downshift question. I want to know where you stand on that. Do I want to see it happen? I upshift. Do I think it will happen? I downshift. Um, I think, you know, if I'm IndyCar, I'm like, and we want to get these races in, and you want to have the tracks. Health is, is certainly... Um, in question, just the way it operates, let's get another race in there. Let's 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 try to reschedule it. Um, I was kind of surprised that it hasn't come back yet, but I don't know with if if, if Formula One would be obviously I think the big roadblock here um, would be like uh, no, this is our show in town. It's not going to be like a NASCAR IndyCar relationship. We're like yeah, man, let's let's help each other out here. I would love to see it happen. I would love to see the IndyCar race be run on Saturday in front of the Formula One world. I'd love to see the Formula One race be run in front of the IndyCar world. Again, you introduce more fans to both sides, and both both sides 
gained benefit from the from the product, but I don't think it's going to happen. I want to see it happen. You know, I know you want to see it to see it happen, but boy, I just uh, I'm not going to go barking up the tree for it to happen. Though I would like to see it happen, but I'm going to stay no on my couch way. and remain. I don't even think IndyCar is going to let that happen. I mean, because already you look at what IndyCar when IndyCar and Formula One are in the same circuit. I mean, IndyCar is so much faster. And it, it is it is scary how much faster Formula One is, and 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 in some cases that can make IndyCar look bad, because I think it, it made Champ Car look bad back in 06 when they went or oh five oh six when they went to um, Montreal, and you know I I think it's just gonna be such a hard situation to get that to get somebody to agree to that. And then, and then to even to get it to happen, I'm not saying a downshift, and I'm also not saying I'm upshifting. I'm probably just going to stick it in a neutral because I don't have really any strong feelings one way or the other of whether or not it happens. I'm just not very confident that that is even going to be allowed. I don't think that the powers that be will want that to happen. I think F1 wants. I mean, IndyCar doesn't want to be a sideshow. IndyCar's never wanted to be a sideshow, especially not to Formula One. And I think if you do a double header like that, I think most. Formula One fans are going to treat IndyCar like, uh, you know, like a, a, a feeder series almost. Like it's just a, it's a it's a it's another race that's there, and but the big deal is still the USGP, and that's really what it should be. I mean, the big deal is still going to be the USGP that weekend, no matter what IndyCar tries to do. People are going to prefer to watch the USGP over the IndyCar race. I'm sorry, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I love the IndyCar race there. I love IndyCar. I think it puts on better shows than Formula One, and we all know that. Mm-hmm. But more people are going to tune in for an F1 race, and they're going to it's at Coda, and more people are going to show up to for F1 race at Coda than they will uh, if for IndyCar. IndyCar could try and latch onto some of that, but I just don't think F1 is going to go along with it. So that's why I'm going to stay at a neutral. I I mean, I don't really have any strong feelings about it one way or another. That is what it is, Josh. I think uh, within our last, oh, say, 15 to 20 minutes here, I think uh, it's time for some history. Rollers featured racetrack is about to get ready. Josh, I want to hear all about this because you've got another, uh, can I say it? Can I just Can I just say we, we've got another board track in the no, news. No, we don't. We don't? We don't. I should have read that further. I, I should have <laughs> read that further. I just read the first sentence and I thought it was a board track. So we don't have another board track. I was wrong. I didn't read the whole thing. See, I don't like I read everything, but I don't read the the yours, your feature race track because I want to learn about it like when you're talking to me about it. I show I probably should have read I, I read everything else beforehand, but I didn't read this one, so whatever. And now I'm gonna listen to it and I'm probably <laughs> gonna spoil spoil it for myself from now on in, in the future. Josh, go ahead and t- tell me all about this racetrack. That's well, not a board track. Yeah, it's not a board track. I couldn't do three in a row, folks. I, I we have a really good one that I will talk about later, but I couldn't do three in a row. I just couldn't do it. Um, and NBC ran a short track challenge on iRacing this past week, so I thought I figured, yeah, let's do, let's do a, a short track of my own this this week, and the Asheville-Weaverville Speedway was the track I chose. So um, it, was, it opened in 1950, and the owner was Eugene Slutter. Uh, races were promoted by Enix Staley. Now, that name might sound familiar. He was the president of North Wilkesboro Speedway. Um, it was a originally a dirt half mile. About midway through the 1957 season, uh, it was it was paved over, but remained a half mile track. Um, 
So some of the highlights here of the track's history, and I, and I found more than I thought I had, so that's pretty cool. Um, on August 17th, 1952, Bob Flock made his triumphant return to the NASCAR Grand National Division at Asheville-Weaverville for the 200-lap event that year. Uh, it was his first since breaking his neck in a crash in the 1951 season finale. Uh, that was on November 25th of 1951 in Mobile, Alabama. His brother, Tim, finished a second, two laps down. Both were driving Hudson's for Ted Chester. Bob Flock uh, actually didn't know he he broken his neck at the time and drove all the way to, from Mobile to Pensacola, Florida, to seek help for the pain in his neck. And the doctor says, hey, buddy, you broke your neck. That's probably why it hurts so much. So he was out for mm, 10-ish months before he was able to get back behind the wheel of Grace Carr. On March 31st, 1957, Buck Baker, driving for Hugh Babb in a 57 Chevrolet, won the final NASCAR dirt race at Asheville-Weaverville. Uh, Marvin Panch and Fireball Roberts led early, but both eventually dropped out with engine troubles. Baker led the final 96 uh, laps of the 200-lap event. Speedy Thompson, Jim Pascal, Jack Smith, and Dick Beatty rounded out the top five. In that race, four cars were entered by Pete DiPaolo, but none of them finished. Fireball Roberts finished 13th. Paul Goldsmith was 15th. Marvin Panch was 16th. And Ralph Moody was 17th. Also in that race, Ralph Earnhardt, drove the number 188, a 57 Oldsmobile, for Petty Enterprises. Unfortunately, he did not finish the race due to overheating and was scored 14th. The track hosted uh, three NASCAR Grand National events in 1959. Uh, one of two years it did so, the other being 1962. Uh, Bob Wellborn won the second race at the track that, that year, uh, the Western North Carolina 200. It was his ninth and final career NASCAR Grand National victory. Wellborn won the first three NASCAR convertible championships from 1956 to 1958. The series shut down after the 1959 season, and he won 19 victories in the convertible division. Uh, Junior Johnson is declared the winner of the August 13, 1961 Western North Carolina 500 after 258 laps of the scheduled 500-lap event. No, it wasn't because of darkness, poor weather, or no noise ordinances. It was instead because the track was deteriorating. According to Spartanburg Herald accounts, 10,000 people were at the race and 4,000 of them marched down to the flag stand to protest the race for ending premature, prematurely. Fistfights broke out and three spectators were injured. The mob locked teams and some of the fellow spectators inside the track. One man acting as a mediator between the teams and the mob was thrown into a lake. <laughs> they didn't take kind to him, kind of wanted to play judge. <laughs> Law enforcement wasn't able to break up the mob, and it lasted for four hours. It wasn't until Pop Eargle, described as a giant man and was a Bud Moore crew member, whacked one of the mob leaders over the head with a two-by-four. <laughs> Minutes later, the teams were permitted to leave, and the riot was averted. Rain checks were later issued. I'm watching Rob break up, man, over here. Rain checks were later issued to fans. I'm having back to the racetrack so later. Hard to keep my laughter. In. Just that sounds like something you would watch while the Benny Hill theme playing for four hours in the background. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to continue moving on while he catches his breath. In the 250 laps that were contested, also saw some serious incidents. By the way, two cars caught fire in the pits during refueling, sending three men to the hospital. 
uh, to be treated for burns. Another car crashed through a wall, slamming into a truck and sent five spectators to the hospital for injuries. And in another incident, one racer turned over and fell on another car. So even before the race was over, there was some pretty craziness that happened in the 129 oh. miles that, it, that happened in that race. This is like so, the madhouse but yes. like before the madhouse. <laughs> yes. I mean, I would love to be like a fly on the wall and watch what happened in that four hours. Imagine so, somebody going to see these races and then going to Bowman Gray and like, yeah. be like oh, oh, there's no difference. This is, it, this is just normal. <laughs> yeah, it's just normal. So moving on here, Richard Petty won the first contest at Asheville Weaverville in 1967, but Bobby Allison beat him by a single car length in the second event that year at the track in the Western North Carolina 500. The car was owned by Holman Moody and was set up by recently retired driver Fred Lorenzen. The race was run on November 5th, 1967, and was the season finale. 30 cars started the race, but only six were running at the end. Allison and Petty uh, were the first two. Third place finisher, David Pearson. Fourth pl- place finisher, Dick Hutcherson. Seventh place finisher, Max Ledbetter. And eighth place finisher, Doug Cooper. Petty officially won his second NASCAR Grand National title by 6,028 points over runner-up James Hilton. This was the season that Petty won 27 race races, and Hilton had zero, but finished second. The 1968 Western North Carolina 500 was won by David Pearson. It was the 11th running of the race, and he was the 11th different winner. The race also saw Dick Brooks jump out of, of his Ford after blowing a tire, and the car nearly struck NASCAR officials Lynn Kuchler and Bill Gazaway. The car even broke through a concrete barrier in its pilotless skid. Yeah. He jumped out of the car. He after jumped out of the car. He said, I'm done. He just bailed. He just he up bailed. and bailed, like GTA style. Just jump right. Press the Y button and jump out, basically, right? Yep, except the Y button was whatever seatbelt he had on, and he jumped out. It did, if he even had a seatbelt at that time. Yeah, Who knows? he didn't even have one. All right, so in 1969, it was the final season of Weaverville on the NASCAR Grand National Circuit. Bobby Isaac won both events. Um, his win in the Western North Carolina was the final at the, at at the uh, track for the NASCAR Grand National Series. Um, It was the 12th running of the 500 mile race. And as a result, it was the 12th different winner. Um, Isaac made a fantastic nine lap swing. Okay. At one point he was five laps down, but he won the race by four laps over second place finisher, David Pearson. That is pretty crazy. I mean, even back then, I think that's pretty crazy. It's not uncommon, I don't think, from back then, but that is four laps. Whew, winning I mean, a race. A nine, that's a nine lap laps. swing. It's a nine lap swing. We're not talking about being down two laps and finishing a lap. Right. It's a nine lap swing. That's pretty crazy. So, um, one of the final races, if not the final race, can't confirm, was run on July 31st, 1970 for NASCAR's short lived Grand American Division. Uh, the series ran pony stock cars and ran from 1968 to 1972. It was called the Grand Touring Division for the first two se- seasons. Um, this particular race was a 300-lap event won by Jim Pascal. Buck Baker was second, and the uh, only other man um, to finish on the lead lap was 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 Baker. Um, and a couple other notable finishers there. Richard Childress finished eighth, and Tiny Lund was tenth in that race. Um, until the track was demolished, the track remained in place, but was a p- sports practice facility. First, earthen barriers and then concrete barriers disabled those looking to turn a lap around the once busy track. Um, by the time people wanted to bring it back 
it was too far gone and urbanization had also taken place around the area and wasn't going to happen. Uh, today, North Buncombe High School occupies the land in which the Speedway once stood, more specifically the oval-shaped track in football field. Uh, occupies, ironically, most of where the track stood. Um, and there's also softball fields that occupy the remaining area where the Asheville Weaver River Speedway once once called home. Uh, racing reference, NASCAR, the complete history, third turn, ultimate racing history, and the history of America's Speedway's past and present assisted with today's Rollers featured racetrack. So it sounds like, to me, this place, I mean, a high school is built on it, right? So yeah, built on where it once stood, Yeah, and the oval-shaped track and football fields and some softball fields. So it sounds like, to me, this place is just asking to be, like, it, at one point, it was just asking to be Bowman Gray before. Like, it was just asking to be Bowman Gray. Yeah, definitely would have been a very interesting... Uh, Bowman Gray is, what, a quarter mile? I think Bowman Gray is a quarter mile. Bowman Gray is crazy. It is crazy. I mean, we talk, I mean you, I'm, in, I'm in North Carolina, and I would like to go to a Bowman Gray race this year, for sure. If you can go to a Bowman Gray race, I would... I would absolutely love to hear your experience from that because I've only ever heard people talk about Bowman Gray and how crazy yeah. it is. Like it, they call it the madhouse for a reason. It just like people, it's like people go in there and they lose all self-control and they just start yelling and screaming and punching and wrecking and doing whatever. And people jump on top of cars. People do so just crazy stuff. Like there's something on the water in there. I don't know what it is. I just think Something's it's like it's, the I think it's just like the high school sporting atmosphere. And us coming from Indiana and covering basketball games, we know how that's like. And sometimes fans get a little wild and crazy. You're right. You're right. I mean, Indiana basketball is definitely interesting. You've got a lot of uh, referees that are very tired of just sitting here taking abuse day after day after day from fans and parents. My favorite was when I saw a referee actually escort a guy out with the cops. He's like, really? I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure you leave this place. <laughs> he went out the doors with them. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, th look, this is incredible. I love listening to that. And I, I love learning about that because this, the stories that you learn on this podcast are incredible. And that's the thing that I like the most about it is I just learned so much. I mean, I was, you know, thinking about it since we have a few extra minutes to talk a little bit until we get into the once in the windshield and finally wrap things up. You know, I was thinking about Langhorn Speedway a couple of weeks ago when you were telling me about that. Mm -hmm. And I found Langhorn Speedway actually, uh, it, it, somebody made it. Somebody made it for uh, NR2003 and uh, I downloaded it and. It is a hard track to get. I mean, because it's a circle. So there's there's no like straightaway. There's no place where you, there's no time to to rest. You know, mm -hmm. there's no time yeah. to save your tires. There's no time to get a run on somebody. I mean, it is probably the hardest track I've ever had. I've ever attempted to drive on. And And I probably would have never even thought about it had you not taught me about the racetrack. Um, so, you know, those are things like I always look for these racetracks and see if they, they were made, mm -hmm. uh, because I know like one of the, one of the more famous board tracks out there, somebody did make, um, a version of Brooklyn's a yes. while ago for the race, for the, for the game. And when you talk about board tracks, that's always one that's interesting to me because it's, it's Brooklyn's, you know? Uh, and I'm surprised somebody made that one. Um, 
somebody's made Avis, which is is uh is which was uh the German. Germany. It was like the in Germany. It took place half on the German autobahn, basically, and it had this huge bank at the very end, and you turn one around. It was basically kind of like an oval, but it wasn't. It was on a half on a highway, half not. I mean, it's this crazy thing. You know, you learn so much about all these crazy racetracks that existed, and then ones you never heard of, like that one, and these crazy stories about people getting hit in the head by two by fours and thrown into lakes. Just, that was that, a crazy uh, night. It sounds crazy like night. crazy night. It sounds like you know, some something ha- was some kind of comet that went over and made everybody just go crazy. That yeah, just just think if um, well, I think the one crew. I don't know the crew guy. I don't want to speak for him, but you know, he probably got tired of being locked up for four hours and. <laughs> He grabbed the close. Probably the people were lucky it wasn't a, a barbed wire fence post. Right. At the end of the day, you know. Uh, Thankfully, nobody had testy too. If I was locked up in there for four hours after a race, I was already been called off. I'm like, come on, let's go home. I'm glad nobody, uh, nobody brought any guns there. That would be bad. Someone's just like there's a bunch of fighting going on. Someone fires a bullet into the seat in the in, into the into the sky, and everybody stops doing what they're doing. Right? That one got there. their attention. That's for darn sure. I'll say yeah, that. That's but for uh, sure. I mean, uh, or I wish there would be one of those moments where, like, I wish there were. Like so, yeah. so often we say, I, "I wish there weren't cameras there," but in this case, I was like, "I just want someone to sit there, put a camera up in a tree." And just aim down at the at the middle of this, and this is watch. Just just record it, hey, so I can go back later and see what exactly happened. Have you ever I- seen? Uh, there. Speaking of that, there is actually video footage of this. Is something interesting because I think one of the last races at Texas World Speedway, uh, when when IndyCar race ran there, it was Cart Usac. Or I can't remember if it was Cart or Usac at the time. Uh, it had had to be either late seventies, early eighties. Um, like right before they stopped going to Texas World, and uh, I think. It, AJ Foyt won the race, and uh, Steve Chrysaloff felt that he had won the race. And so he comes down to Victory Lane and starts, you know, protesting, saying he won the race, he won the race, or something. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. You know what I'm talking about. And he starts throwing a fit. Chrysaloff does. And then one of AJ Foyt's crew members, like, a huge guy, just comes and, and, and just picks Steve Chrysaloff off, up off the ground, and, like, hauls him out of victory lane and just kind of like says get out of here you've never never seen that (laughs) no i i I said like i think i see where this is going oh yeah yeah. i thought you were going i thought you were going to say aj (laughs) well i mean you you can't forget the good old foyt slap when lion dyke walked into victory lane at texas in 97 yeah to learn how to count and foyt comes out eh, backhands him right across the (laughs) lesson learned no, for real, Foyt. Do not mess with Foyt, even if you're Ari Leyendike. Back then, you learned you don't mess with AJ Foyt, even if your name's Ari Leyendike. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. You do not want to mess with Super Tex. Uh, and and I can tell you, you know, I've had conversations with Super Tex before. AJ Foyt. I have. I had an interview with him once. It was great, great conversation. Uh, he wasn't very talkative as much as I thought he was. Uh, I, I talked to uh, Bobby Unser. Uh, for for the same story that I was working on, and Bobby, but Bobby gave me more content to work with than Foyt did. I think Foyt was definitely the kind of guy who would uh, a man of little words, but a guy that you didn't want to tussle with because he probably he'd probably beat you senseless. And I feel like start he, talking to you then, but yeah, then he'll start talking to you. <laughs> you didn't want to hear that. I've always felt like AJ Foyt is the kind of guy who, no matter what age he is, he could probably kick somebody's butt without any problem. 
Probably. I mean, he probably probably could. Um, so let's go ahead and and you know that was a great conversation. I love shooting the breeze sometimes. Sometimes I like just talking about old uh, old stuff. And it's Steve Krisilov. I mentioned Steve Krisilov. When have we oh. ever mentioned Steve Krisilov? That's true. But one more thing. One thing we did fail to mention. We heard what? Bestwick's voice at Monza Madness. We did. We did hear we did. Alan Bestwick's voice at yeah. Monza Madness. We we we. Uh, how did we not mention that? But it was so nice. I want to hear. I mean, he's him and I think um. Of guys who realistically have a chance to go to the Darlington Throwback Weekend, him and, and David Hobbs, I want to hear call, I don't know, 75 laps of the Southern 500 one of these days. And, oh. and just, 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 just them two. Just them two calling a race. They've both been there before, and, and they're not actively part right. of the NASCAR broadcast teams like, like Jared and, and Kyle Petty. Um, but th- those two would love to hear them call 75 laps of the Southern 500 today. So it was good to hear him, even though it wasn't, you know, the, the main uh, play-by-play guy still hearing his voice. It's great. To, anytime I get to, I think anytime you hear Alan Bestwick is a great thing. He's just a great guy. A lot of people love Alan Bestwick. You know, you know, I've never personally met him in person, but I've been around him, you know, in the media center and places. And he, the way he conducts himself is just very mm-hmm. professional. He's a very kind person. He's very down-to-earth, very nice uh, I mean, he's the kind of guy who I think I could probably go up and talk to if I wasn't so socially awkward. Um, you know, I, I'm so socially awkward. That's my problem. I don't think I could ever go up and talk to him like I want to, but uh, I, 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 I would want to. So, but yeah, no, I mean, that's great. Hey, and like I said, you know, in the month of May, when the month of May rolls around, since we're gonna, we don't have an Indy 500, uh, this is my opportunity probably to talk uh, a lot about my two favorite drivers who always get a lot of flack for no reason. Uh, and those names are Kevin Kogan and Greg Ray. Uh, you know, so get get ready, everybody, to start listening to my rants about Kevin Kogan and how Kevin Kogan was a better race car driver than people give him credit for. And the same appro- applies to Greg Ray. Greg Ray was a better driver than people give him credit for. And I will be explaining those almost in detail come month of May because uh, I think we're working on plans for, for what we're going to do the month of May since there's not probably going to be any racing going on unless we're very lucky. Unless we're very, very lucky. Um, so let's go ahead, and we've already taken a look at what's in the windshield uh, next month, but let's take a look at what's in the windshield for next week. Ryan Vargas' second edition of Truck Night in America, the E-Trucks Rumble at Richmond. Uh, this race is a virtual Richmond Raceway. will take place on Thursday, April 16th at 7 p.m. on Podium Esports and Speed51.com. The open races for this event will take place the night before. Uh, some of the 23 drivers who are guaranteed in the field of 43 will be Alexander Rossi, Elliot Sadler, Ron Caps, David Gravel, Harrison Burton, Jeffrey Earnhardt, Anthony Alfredo, Tommy Joe Martins, Myatt Snyder, Austin Hill, Spencer Boyd, Austin Wade Self, and Haley Deegan. The fourth round of the IndyCar iRacing Challenge heads to its second oval, thank goodness, uh, at the virtual Twin Ring Motegi. The race will be held on Saturday. The IndyCar last visited Twin Ring Motegi in 2011. The race was won by Scott Dixon. Other current IndyCar drivers who were there in that race include Will Power, Marco Andretti, Sebastian Bourdais, Graham Ray Hulk, James Hinchcliffe, Tony Kanaan, Charlie Kimball, and Ryan Hunter-Ray. Interesting to note since, well, the last race at Twin Ring Motegi actually took place on the road course, but they are racing on the oval, thank goodness. And uh, I don't know how much time we have, but I really need to lobby to get Danica Patrick a sim rig because I need her to defend her crown, because everybody knows, like, oh, I mean, yeah, okay, she won the race on fuel mileage. I don't care. I still want, I want she Danica won the to race. the race. She won the I race. Wanna, I, I want to see Dale Danica. If Dale Jr. goes out and wins a fuel mileage race, everyone's Right, if Dale Jr. can win a fuel mileage right. race in an IndyCar and never had started, who's, who's to say Danica couldn't finish, like, third? 
You know, who's to say she couldn't finish like fourth or fifth or something? Who's to say she couldn't win the race? Is what I'm saying. I, I it's not going to happen. I would hope that Aaron Rodgers has enough money to give her get get a I'm rig about to say, in like, her Aaron house. could buy her one. Right. I mean, come on. No, actually, I, I you know, like I told you last week about how they had the cricket player uh, Ben Stokes racing the F1 esports event. Yeah. Uh, screw it. Let's put Aaron Rodgers in a NASCAR iRacing event. If they, if, if F1 is going to let a cricket player who won, no, no, you're saying no. No. You're saying no. You saying no. You don't like that kind no. of craziness. Okay. Okay. Well. It was fun. One. I, I thought it would be cool. I thought it would be funny. No. Fine, then Danica has to drive. Go, I don't want to be like F1 and have all these celebrities, right? Let's, let's, let's stick okay. it to the guys who at least know what they're doing behind the wheel. Flash, know what they're doing behind the wheel. Then let's get Danica Patrick a sim rig or something. She can borrow mine. Let's she can borrow mine. I don't care. Aaron Rodgers to buy her a sim rig because I'm sure he's made enough money with the Packers not doing so well the past few years. He's collecting what, a nice Packers? Pa- oh, you're a Cowboys fan. I'm a Seahawks fan. Neither of us care about the Packers. No, we don't. I care about Danica Patrick, but I, don't I care, care about, about them losing. <laughs> I do, too. I care about them losing. Yeah. Uh, uh, of course, not when Matt Hasselbeck goes out and says, we want the ball and we're going to score. Yeah. Whatever. 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 On Sunday, the NASCAR E-NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series resumes at the virtual Richmond Wasteway. No start time has been announced at this time, but once again, the race will be on select Fox stations, all of FS1, and on the Fox Sports app. Uh, that's all we've got so far in the windshield. You know, we thank you so much every time for listening to us. We really appreciate it. We try so hard. Josh does, does such a great job uh, preparing everything, and, and we work so hard to, to bring you uh, this, this great podcast that we both love to do. Uh, and we're really thankful for you guys to from listening in again. I know it's been really hard with all the, the shutdown, and a lot of us are out of work. You know, I'm out of work now, too. Uh, Josh, I, you're out of work. I mean, a lot of us are out of work. So, you know, we're glad to be here with you during these tough times. We're glad that you've, you welcome us into our ho- your homes, your cars, on your phones, wherever. Uh, we're just glad to, to provide some entertainment and some, some bright spots in your days. And uh, if you'd like to continue seeing those bright spots and like to keep up with the show, uh, remember you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am located at rpeters33, R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. Josh is located on Twitter at roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. And you can follow the show uh, at Robin Roller, spelled just like it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. And uh, we have so much more planned for you in the future. We're excited to keep doing this. We're excited for you to keep tuning in. So thank you again so much for listening today. And uh, with that being said, for uh, Josh Roller, I am Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a good one, everybody.